Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back. Okay, today we're talking about the flu, the flu shot, but also how about a little freedom of speech? Okay, so we had a seminar this weekend, and one of the speakers there has received um, several death threats. And one of them was very explicit, and uh, it was this is serious. Now, death threats for her information. So it, now we had a tremendous amount of security there. We're talking wands, um, you know, FBI, private security guys. Uh, I'm going to present the information that that she risked her life to present. Now, what's wild is, was she some type of radical, um, uh, some type of radical group that was talking about anarchy, that was talking about killing people? No, she's talking about anatomy, physiology, and reading from journal articles. So, when is it that somebody is presenting science? Okay, and then you're threatened with death to presenting it. Uh, okay, let's 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 look at the old freedom of speech thing. Now she brought up uh, the Haemophilus uh, B influenza um, vaccine, and looking at its efficacy, like if it's safe, it's as, as effective, uh, if the population is healthier from this. So she pulls up an article from 1998, the Microbial and Molecular Biologic Review, and uh, you know you get it off the uh, National Institute of Health.gov site. Okay, so this is public knowledge, and what they are talking about is 1985. They're doing this efficacy studies. And it turns out that it really does work. It works fantastically well. Haemophilus influenza B incidents have dramatically gone down. <clears throat> However, it turns out that in the studies in 1986, there was a negative efficacy of up to 157%. Now, if you're familiar with efficacy, efficacy is that it's a good thing. It has a positive effect. A negative efficacy means that it has a bad effect or there's an increase in disease or damage. Well, the challenge was that when they did the studies, they were looking at Haemophilus influenza B. Now, there is another bacteria that, okay, so think of this. Now, we have a competitive environment, and she was just basically looking at the back, back aspect of the throat, which was called Waldemeyer's ring. Now, now, this ring is the tonsils back of the tongue, just basically back of the throat area. So if you take a drug, now understand that it's, it's an ecosystem, that there's a lot of different viruses, funguses, bacteria, and this is maintaining a balance. So if you go in there and you take a vaccine and it hyperstimulates the immune system to attack one aspect of that ecosystem, Something else, more pathogenic or something, you're disrupting the ecosystem. So in basic science, um, they're trying something and seeing what the effect of. Now, all this came down in 1985, 1986. And since the vaccine for Haemophilus B influenza, um, it wiped that one out or decreased those numbers. However... The non-typable 
Haemophilus influenza started to arise, okay, and we're talking even become even more pathogenic than Haemophilus influenza B. And here's a quote from the article. Now remember, she was threatened with death for um, wanting to present this data that's freely available. So I'm going to read from this data. Wait, does anybody have a wand, bulletproof vest? No, forget this, man. This is, this is vital that this information gets out there. Quote, the question must surely arise, how and why this organism changed from a relatively harmless commensal uh, into an agent of infection. Subsequent evolution of adaptive diversity for non-typable homophilus influenza is essential, and it may be due to this requirement that the balanced state has been disturbed. Now, the, remember, the vaccine works. Okay, It wiped out homophilus B influenza. No one's arguing with that. However, infectious diseases of that area from other things ha have risen. And in fact, lower respiratory tract infections. And I'm going to just read from this article. Non-typable homophilus influenza are a major cause of mortality in both infants and children in developing countries. Otitis media, ear infections, up to 100% of children in developing countries and 62% of children in more developed communities will have their first episode of otitis media by the year of one. And non-typable homophilus influenza is responsible for up to 37% of those episodes. Other infections, the non-typable. Remember, the vaccine caused this one to become pathogenic. Okay, colonization of the genital urinary tract predisposes prepubescent females to infection and is a source of maternally derived neonate infection. So she's presenting this data because efficacy, that means if it's safe to use or effective, or if you solve one problem and create others. You know, how about we look at the immune system? Now, if we're looking at the immune system, okay, so that's, those are just a few slides that I got off of her presentation. I thought it'd be of value. And those of you that, that were frightened for your life, didn't want to show up, or didn't have the opportunity to be in Costa Mesa to hear her speak, uh, she brought it. She had strength, courage. It was amazing. So now, speaking of the flu panic, let's, let's ask a couple of questions now. Okay? When did the flu become so much of an issue? Are there more effective ways to strengthen your immune system other than getting a vaccination? And how effective are flu vaccinations? I mean, let's think of that. Because we know from what, what the data that Susan Humphreys brought up. Now, she didn't even do the study. She's just reading from this study to make people aware of it that if you utilize something such as a vaccination or a medical procedure that changes and alters the immune system or the environment, that you can develop with negative consequences. Well, let's look at this. Let's go to the cdc.gov site, okay? Now, they recommend yearly flu vaccines. Now, they say that the flu vaccine protects against viruses, and this is the best way to reduce flu illnesses, doctor's visits, and missed work. Now, this is everyone six months of age and older should get a flu vaccine. Six months of age and older. That means a vaccine six months, a year and a half, two and a half, three and a half, up to the year of death. So you're talking 60, 70, 80 years of flu vaccines. Now, I know you might be thinking that there's not really long-term studies on that, and you'd be absolutely right.
And they're also recommending it for young children, pregnant women, chronic health conditions, everyone, health care workers. And in fact, um, uh, so this is really a big deal. If you're going to put people in this medical procedure and put them at risk, what are the actual death rates? Well, when you look at the CDC site, they say they don't really keep track of it. Of course not. Why keep track of something like that? Um, and they, they say between around 36,000 on average people die of the flu. Well, the American Lung Association actually does keep figures. And going from 1999 to 2006, the average number of people that die from the flu, now we're talking in America, so over 300 million Americans, is about 1,244. That's not 1,244,000. That's 1,244 people die of the flu every year. Now, they have a breakdown of the age group, and we're talking, um, we're talking between 75 and 85 plus, we're talking more than half of the people. Now, I want you to keep that number because uh, you're going to find out that the flu vaccine itself is 0% effective if you're over 65. That means 0% effective. That means you get nothing but the toxic effects and no benefits for the majority of people that are dying from the flu. But it is a good market. So let's go back in time. And I know it's really difficult to think way back, way back to the year 2000. But back then, you only gave flu shots to people that were sick or at risk of, of damage from the normal flu occurrence. And so in 2000, they expanded um, the flu shot to every healthy American over age 50. Then in 2002, they added all healthy babies from six months to 23 months. Then in 2006, they thought, to heck with it, all healthy children up to five years old. Okay, and then 2006, they also said every healthy pregnant woman, okay, any trimester. Now, granted, there's no studies on this. There's no even pregnant animal studies. And so what happened in 2007, then they said, okay, all healthy children up to eight years old. And then 2008, all healthy children up to 18 years old. Then then. 2009, there's the H1N1, swine flu pandemic. Homeland Security takes over. No, they're not medical doctors. This is the Homeland Security. I don't know what they, they're doing in the vaccine business, but by God, they're going to force you to get this. So then, 2010, annual flu shots for every American, healthy or not, from six months old to the year of their death in 2010. Now, Amazing. So this rise was brought on by one of the largest purchasers of vaccines. Now, this is the CDC. Okay. Now, they're directed, um, or their director at the time, between 2002 and 2009, when all of this um, hype over the flu was Dr. Jeweler Gerberding. Now, she resigned in 2009 after being in charge of the CDC for so long, and she was immediately hired by Merck, which is a vaccine division, which is they produce a tremendous amount of vaccines bought by our government and our doctors. In fact, she was put in charge of a $5 billion a year operation. And don't worry about her. She's doing okay financially. 
uh, she has around 38,000 shares of her stock that she sold for about $2.5 million, and she still has plenty of stock left. So don't worry, she's going to be okay. But let's look at how effective this is, the Cochrane database. Now, these guys, and this is, again, off the National Institute of Health.gov site, um, and they have an article titled Vaccines for Preventing Influenza in Healthy Adults. They went and did a Medline search from 1966 to 2010, okay, and an Embase search from 1990 to 2010. So this is a total literature search. And what they found, okay, when the virus that they produced in the shot actually matched the strain and this is a rare occurrence. So, you know, the one that's floating around, they actually match. Now, this year, everyone's saying, yes, it doesn't match, it doesn't work, but by God, get it anyway. Now, I don't know what kind of drugs a person would say or it would have to take to come up with that illogical conclusion. Yes, it doesn't work. That's why you need to get it. Okay, well, it doesn't freaking work. So in this Cochrane Database review, they found out when they absolutely nail the shot, um, the protected people, people that are protected with that shot have about 1% development of influenza. And the unvaccinated, the people that are running around with no vaccine whatsoever, and this is the year that they actually match the shot, about 4% of unvaccinated people may develop flu symptoms. So that's right, it's a 3% difference on those years that, that they nail it. However, Local harms, an estimated, and, and this is, again, off of this, 1.6 people per million vaccinations of Guillain-Barre. That's permanent paralysis. And the author's conclusions, quote, the review showed that reliable evidence on influenza vaccine is thin, but there is evidence of widespread manipulation of conclusions and spurious notoriety of the studies. Okay, the content and conclusions of this review should be interpreted in light of this findings. That's right, industry-funded studies. Let's look at what Dr. Thomas Jefferson, um, again, Cochrane Database. The vaccines don't work well at all. Vaccines are being used as an ideologic weapon. What you see every year is the flu is caused by two to 300 different agents with a vaccine against two of them. That's simply nonsense, end of quote. Now, you might remember the swindle flu, I mean swine flu uh, epidemic back in 2009 that was going to wipe out the planet. Well, in November of 2009, I'm getting my, I know I'm jogging the memory because it's really long ago, but British Columbia, Canada, announced that it was suspending the seasonal flu shot for anyone 65 years old and older in Quebec, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Ontario, Nova Scotia, because it found out that people got that were twice as likely to catch the flu. Yeah, okay, so let's look at other studies. 2008, the Archives of Pediatric and Adolescent Medicine found out that, here, quote, the researchers concluded that significant influence of vaccine effectiveness could not be demonstrated for any season, any age, or any setting examined. Let's look at 2008, The Lancet. Uh, they found out that vaccine coverage went from 15%, okay, in 1980 to 65% uh, in 2008. And there was no change, no change, no change in influenza or pneumonia or deaths from this. That's right. 
the vaccine coverage went from 15% to 65% and no change. And then the New England Journal of Medicine, 2005, concluded that vaccination against pneumonia doesn't reduce your risk of contracting the disease. Uh, The American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care, 2008, again, they say the same thing. It goes from 15% to 65%, and there's no difference. The National Institute of Health, Lancet, Infectious Disease Journal, all of these guys, quote, we conclude that the frailty selection bias and the nonspecific endpoints, such as all-cause mortality, have led cohort studies to greatly exaggerate vaccine benefits. In English, if you don't speak the psychotic language that they use in the journal articles, they say that all of the different studies, they're coming up with crazy gauges and that the vaccine doesn't actually work well. Well, so let's look at the new flu vaccine. They're starting to grow them in cell-based flu vaccines. See, you can't isolate a virus. It has to be, it's it's like a well-organized molecular parasite. So these viruses, okay, have to be grown in certain growth medium. And uh, most of the time, up until 2013, they were grown in chicken eggs. Now, they had a a cool way to manufacture them uh, that would be grown on neoplastic or cell growth, um, on uh, immortal cell lines. And so these are cancer cells, okay, but they're monkey kidney, dog kidney, aborted human fetal cells. Now, these different types of cells give you a really consistent product. And they found this in 1954 that it would give a real consistent product of a flu vaccine. Um, However, they decided not to use it because they thought if you grow a vaccine in cancer cells and inject people with cancer cells, that it might cause survey says cancer yeah probably okay so so they decided not to use it however now they're saying that it can, listen to this this is off the fda.gov site okay quote because neoplastic cell growth survive, cells survive indefinitely it's easier to qualify and bank cells that have passed all the tests, especially when compared with primary cells, which are derived repeatedly from live tissue and must be requalified with each use. So obviously, this is a great way to manufacture stuff. So what they're doing is doing post-marketing surveillance. Okay, there's a couple of ways that they come up with how they work. Post-marketing surveillance, that means we shoot now, and then 10 years from now, if we see a rise in cancer rates, uh, probably not a good idea. Okay, now, 2002, the Journal of Lancet, they felt that the polio vaccine, okay, was responsible for up to half of the 55,000 non-Hodgkin's lymphoma cases that occur each year. And also, there's talking about the SV40 virus, which is in... um, a polio vaccine, and we're actually using monkey kidney tissue now in the flu shot, but that they found this this virus that was an oncogenic or cancer virus inside of the vaccine. It's also in lung cancers, brain cancers, bone cancers, and lymphatic cancers. And the Lancet, again, now this is 2009. They did um, an, an awareness, and this is huge because... Uh, the way they state it, the importance of background rates of disease and assessment of vaccine safety during mass immunization with pandemic of H1N1 influenza vaccines. Now, 
that's a lot, but you got to remember there was a real big panic back then. Of course, nothing came to fruition. And what they felt was that if 10 million individuals were vaccinated, okay, you would get 21 cases of permanent paralysis. You'd get about six cases of sudden death. You'd get about 87 cases of optic neuritis. And you'd get around 3,970 uh, spontaneous abortions within a day of the vaccine from pregnant women. Now, that's 10 million people. However, there's 300 million people in America, okay, so you can, you can increase those data points. And we now know that the pandemic never happened. Okay, let's look at immunology and cell biology. Okay, they're talking about aluminum adjuvants, one of the main ingredients, or it's a way to stimulate and they're concerned about the aluminum in this has uh, its relationship to neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's. If you look at current medicinal, uh, medicinal chemistry journal, they say the vaccine benefits may have been overrated and the risk of potential adverse effects underestimated. End of quote. Boy, I agree with that one. Journal of Toxicology. Quote, all these findings plausibly implicate aluminum adjuvants in pediatric vaccines as causal factors contributing to increased rates of autism. Uh, end of quote. Uh, let's look at Dr. Hugh Fundenberg. He says that if you get five flu shots in a row, you have 10 times increased risk of Alzheimer's. Okay, now this guy is probably the most published um, immunogeneticist of our time. And so what was that? I, I, I forget because my memory's obviously going. Maybe I need a shot. But think of this. A child six months old getting a flu vaccine that doesn't work, and if you get five of them in a row, it can increase Alzheimer's, and it's also linked to increased autistic rates. Amazing. Uh, so we're going to go over this, okay, a number of different studies. But what I want you to do, I want you to understand, okay, tonight we're going to have data on top of data. <sighs> Take a deep breath. How many people get sick in the wintertime? Well, it's vitamin D deficient. There's higher stress and typically poorer diets. And when we look at all of the respiratory infections that are possible, you're talking rhinoviruses, 55% of them, coronavirus, 23%. We're looking at synctoviruses, that's about 6%. Other pathogens are 6%. So of all the infections possible, uh, influenza, type A and B, is around 10% or less of all the infections out there. So what's with all the hype to get a vaccine that doesn't work very well at all. You know, I'd like to say that it's ignorance, but you got two choices, ignorance or evil. And, and the best shot we got at this one is ignorance. So let's look at what we can do. Uh, well, what happens, there is no real cold and flu season, but what happens in our winter time? Okay, viruses tend to live longer at colder temperatures. Now, your first line of defense are the mucous membranes. Now, they can typically dry out in the cold and become more susceptible to infections. 
Plus, in the holiday season, sugar actually weakens the immune system. And then we have decreased vitamin D from less sun exposure, increased stress. And then what do we do for the immune system response? Well, the body's response to infection, you develop a fever. And in fact, 104 fever, your immune system goes 64 times faster. Now, viruses, funguses, and bacteria actually die at higher temperatures. So developing a fever is fantastic. And then increased mucus production. Why? Because this walls off invaders. Now, the immune system cells are actually stimulated by this inflammatory process. And then coughing, sneezing, diarrhea. All of these are intelligent body responses to get it knocked out. Now, a lot of doctors will recommend acetaminophen or Tylenol. And in fact, it's the main ingredient in DayQuil, NyQuil, you know, all of these things that doctors recommend most. Yeah, yeah I hear that. I want to throw a brick at the TV. Well, let's look at actual data. Here's from the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care, 2005. Now, they say that... <laughs> Acetaminophen is linked to chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. And this is utilizing the third national health nutrition examination and survey. And they found out that there was an increase in chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Now, not only does it um, decrease, deplete glutathione, uh, it decreases your fever, which actually is a good response. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense. Okay, now antibiotics. Typically, people are going to utilize uh, ear infections. They're going to treat it with that. However, we're now having a superbug problem called multi-antibiotic-resistant um, staph aureus. So we have to look at how we're treating this. So if you do get a cough, a cold, a fever, work with your body's immune system, build a fever, take vitamin C, vitamin D3, and look at how your body reacts. If you start to perspire or sweat, that's your body eliminating toxins and also trying to cool off. So you want to cool off the body utilizing room temperature or tepid sponge bath. Now, if you're so sick that you're vomiting, diarrhea, and you can't hydrate, then that's a dangerous situation. That's when you need to go to the hospital and for sure don't get a flu shot, but go there and getting an IV would be appropriate. But you've got to keep hydrate, hydrated. Now, we only have about three minutes left, so I'm going to go over tonight. We're going to go over what a fever is how to look at a fever. We're going to go over what mucus is, mucus production. We're going to look at vomiting, okay, what to do with your vomiting. Because vomiting is actually a way to alkalinize your system, um, except the problem is you can be losing electrolytes. And I'm going to show you how to replace those electrolytes. We're going to go over diarrhea, how diarrhea is actually beneficial when you're going through the process of a cold. Again, you're eliminating the toxins and balancing it out. So what do you do with diarrhea? What's too much? What's too little? This, this is, it, I know there's an innate, inborn intelligence in the human body. And if you're looking at this, and you're working with the immune system response, then your body is going to recover from this, and you can develop both humoral and cellular immunity and be protected in the future. God, that makes sense.
You could look at the Medicine and Science in Sports and Exercise Journal, 2002. They talk about how walking, regular exercise, significantly reduces common cold symptoms. We can look at <coughs> University of California at Berkeley. Talk about how day care and playground groups actually cut leukemia risk. It turns out that if you expose a child's immune system to different pathogens, that it can protect them from serious diseases later on in life. Oh my gosh, isn't that what Susan Humphreys was talking about? Yeah, so instead of looking at the microscopic little tiny picture of, yay, this vaccine works, however, people are dying because of more... Um, uh, non-pathogenic bacteria all of a sudden are becoming a problem. Okay, so let's look at the overall immune system. How does the body actually recover from this? And then, so what can you do? Proper nutrition, particularly at this time of the year. Okay, know that 80% of your immune system is in your gut. So you've got to have fermented foods, healthy foods, eliminate processed sugars, organic plant-based diet. Look at healthy fats such as coconut oil, um, avocados, fermented veggies. Make sure you get appropriate vitamin D. Make sure you get your nervous system checked because that controls and coordinates every function of the body. Make sure you get vitamin D and vitamin K2. Okay, so we're looking at fermented foods. Again, fermented foods. God, that makes sense. Look at animal fat-based omega-3s, sardines, mackerel, anchovies. Phenomenally important for healthy brain function. Remember, your body is self-healing and self-regulating. These extreme times call for extreme solutions, and that is why you have got to go to ExtremeHealthAcademy.com. That's ExtremeHealthAcademy.com. We're going to have podcasts, webinars, video courses, all of this stuff to educate the public and not panic the public. You guys walk by a mirror. I want you to look in that mirror and smile. You are made in the image and likeness of God. You're self-healing, self-regulating. And we're going to talk how to strengthen your immune system and not be afraid of the psychotic advertising. You guys are made in the image and likeness of God. This is Dr. John Bergman. God bless you, and I love you. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.